pollution, carbon emissions, climate change. I'm sure we're all well aware of the debates that are happening around the world on environmental issues. We've seen in recent election campaigns in this country that environmental policy is suddenly a hot topic. And I have here this week's uh, Central South Sea News Bulletin right here in front of me. And the big headline at the top of it is, Council budget is greenest ever. This is a big topic uh, in the world of politics today. It's also in the school curriculum in a way that it never was before. Um, children are now learning environmental education at school, which was never an explicit subject when I was at school anyway. Um, there's a lot of scientific research and debate on the subject that's hard to understand. In many ways, uh, we'll see two people on the screen in just a moment, and in a way, these two encapsulate the divide in this world uh, along these issues. On the one side is, on the left-hand side there, we've got Greta Thunberg, 17-year-old environmental campaigner, who's become the public face of global environmental movements. Underneath her, I have a quote from her at a recent, um, at a recent global conference, she says, we have to acknowledge that the older generations have failed. All political movements in their present form have failed. But Homo sapiens, in other words, man mankind, have not yet failed. Yes, we are failing, but there's still time to turn everything around. We can still fix this. Kind of on the other side uh, of these kind of global debates is uh, Donald Trump on the right-hand side, president of the US. In many ways, he's come to encapsulate the view that the natural world is there for us to use for our own ends. At a conference last month, he told delegates that they should reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of apocalypse. He's kind of referring to environmentalists generally, but specifically uh, counter-arguments to Greta. The world around us is so divided on these issues of protecting the planet. As we see these debates happening in the world around us, it can be confusing to know how we might engage with these as Christians. We're left with some questions. What does God say about these issues? How should Christians engage with this divided world that we're living in? And where did it all go wrong? I feel before we go any further that I, I have a disclaimer that I should make. I, um, I studied environmental science at university. Um, so I'm going to put my hand up to that right now and get that out of the way. Uh, but I think it's important for me to remember that what I've learned at university has to be balanced with an understanding of how God speaks into these environmental issues. It's not just about what I've learned at university and the way that the scientific data is presented to us. We do need to balance it against God's word as well. So let's see this morning as how God speaks into these issues around protecting the planet and how we might think through these issues for ourselves. My hope is that we can lay out a biblical framework this morning on how God speaks into environmental issues. So let's dive in and begin by recognizing as our first point of reference in this, frame, in this framework, whose planet we're living on. This is our first point this morning as we go through this topic, 
It's God's planet, not our planet. I've recently been watching the new David Attenborough series, Our Planet. It's a really good series, and it's, I'd really, really recommend it if you haven't seen it. And it's hard to miss the warnings about what our actions are doing to our planet and the natural world. But let's go right back. Uh, if you've closed your Bibles, let's go back to Genesis um, and take a look at what the Bible says. So turn with me to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go, seems like a good place to start. We're going to go with the very first words of the Bible. Let me read them out to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're told that God is the creator. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So the first thing to say this morning is that this isn't really our planet at all. We know that it's actually God's planet. No scientist in the environmental debate is going to claim that we created the planet. We didn't create it, God did. So let's keep this in mind as we're going through this topic this morning. It's God's planet, we just happen to live on it. But God also revealed to us what we're doing here. He's revealed to us what we're doing on his planet. So our second point today is God created humans to rule and take care of his planet. We heard from Jo as she was reading this morning from Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, that God created plants and trees and all sorts of animals, and it was good. Now let's pick it up in verse 26. It should come up on the slide uh, in just a moment as well. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase and multiply, sorry, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And again, as Joe was reading from us in chapter two, which gives the same account of God's creating work, but told from a different angle. And again, let's, let's have a look back at chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There's this intention in Genesis chapter 1 that God's image bearers will rule over every living creature on the earth. And in chapter 2, to work the earth and take care of it. There's a lot of debate over um, what it means to be made in God's image, but I, I think that part of it is something to do with ruling over the natural world that God has created and also to be taking care of it. God has given his image bearers work to do. But the planet isn't perfect. We don't have to go far to see that. So let's have a look at where it all went wrong. This is the third point that we'll be having a look at today. This planet 
is never going to be perfect. Unfortunately, it doesn't take long for humans to ruin everything in the next chapter of Genesis. Adam and Eve are the original image bearers of God, but they disobey God and they're expelled from the Garden of Eden. Let's take a look again at chapter 3 and the second half of verse 17, which will be, uh, there it is on the, on the slide as well, if you want to follow it there. God says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Adam and Eve chose to live their own way rather than the way God intended them to live. And so you can see here in Genesis chapter 3 that God curses the ground because of Adam. Nature itself has become spoilt by the rebellion of his image bearers. When the world around us wonders why, if there is a God, would he allow natural disasters to happen? We can see here in Genesis chapter 3 that the planet's been affected by the rebellion of God's image bearers. But notice how God is still telling Adam that he'll be working in the land, in verse 17, through painful toil and by the sweat of your brow. God's command to his image bearers, you see, it continues although it will now be much harder work. God gave us the world as a gift, and we should take care of it. God gave mankind the responsibility to care for, preserve, and develop the planet on his behalf. The world is divided and is arguing over these environmental issues and uncertainty about where it all went wrong. But we can see right here in Genesis, in God's word, where these issues all began. What about the planet today? This is our fourth point this morning in this framework. The planet's biggest issue is still sin. So as a quick recap, the world's waking up to these environmental issues, but as Christians, we know that creation's been out of sorts for a very, very long time. As Christians, we ought to recognize that there are serious issues in the world. Mankind has failed. We know that from Genesis 3. But God has still given us work to do to care for his planet. And yet, as Christians, we know that the biggest issue is human sin. Rebellion against God led to all brokenness that we see today. This man on the screen here, his name is Gus Spieth. He's an American environmental lawyer and a US advisor on climate change. I don't know if you can read too well what it says on the screen, um, but it's something he said back in 2015, and let me read it out to you. He says, I used to think that the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that 30 years 
of good science could address these problems. I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. I think Gus Spieth is onto something here. There's more going on here than can be dealt with by scientific and technical um, solutions. There's a heart issue that stretches right back to what we've been having a look at in Genesis. We're made in God's image, and yet, if we're honest, we know that we're not perfect like God is. There are so many ways that we've messed up and acted selfishly. The selfishness of humans is really what's at the heart of these environmental issues. As Gus Spieth says, it's the, uh, the greed and the apathy um, that's kind of really going on, those, those heart issues. If we try to fix the planet above everything else, we will fail. God commands us to know him and love him first and foremost. Let me read out to you what Paul says in Acts chapter 17. The words will be up there they are on, the, on the slide there. So Paul says this in Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God designed this planet in a way that we can reach out for him and find him. When we see the beauty of nature around us, God had created it to reflect something of his beauty. If all we see is nature, though, and try to fix the planet and miss God behind uh, the creation, then we've made an idol out of the planet. We've made an idol out of created things rather than worshipping the creator. Please don't hear me wrong at this point. I believe that we do have a responsibility for the world that God has gifted to us. We have work to do as God's image bearers, but God sits above everything else. We have to recognize our sin and turn back to Jesus. Our fifth point in this framework this morning is that Jesus says, love God and love others. You see, God isn't just a, a distant God 
who made the planet and then removed himself from it completely. No, he watches over the earth and he's, he actively works in the world every second of every day. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth as a man. We can read in Mark's gospel that someone asked Jesus which of God's commands is the most important. And he replied with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second one is, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus combines two commandments into one. Love God and love neighbor. As we seek to love God, we actively seek to love others and serve them. So as we think about these environmental issues, we also need to remember that Jesus commanded us to love others. Now I'm, I'm challenged by this, I really am. Like, when I drive around South Sea, uh, my car is polluting the local environment. My neighbors right here in South Sea are affected uh, by my car emissions. Loving others has local implications. There's quite a well-known environmental slogan. It's actually, uh, it's actually on the uh, Central South Sea Bulletin as well. Think globally, act locally. You might have seen Portsmouth's public initiative, Cough, Cough, Engine Off. I believe that these are important for us to remember. Our actions should reflect something of loving others as we love God. But loving others isn't just, um, it isn't just limited to our literal neighbors, to the people next door to us. We might also think that, we might, we might think that flooding in Bangladesh has nothing to do with us. But Jesus said, that whoever we care for in our actions are our neighbors. When we see flooding in other parts of the world, we should rightfully think about how our affections, uh, how our actions might affect others. Whether it's driving around, whether it's putting recyclable items in the wrong bin or other small actions, we should consider, am I loving my neighbors in my actions? As we follow Jesus, we seek to love God and love others. We looked last week in Isaiah uh, that Jesus is our super servant savior. He came to earth as our savior by dying on the cross for our sins. God's grace means that if we trust in Jesus, we are free to follow him by loving him and loving others. And we can look forward then to the new creation. This is our final point um, this morning. 
This planet is heading for new creation. We're told in many places in the Bible that God is going to finally and ultimately deal with all the issues we see around us in the world. Last year, when we were looking at the first half of Isaiah, um, we saw Isaiah was looking forward to this time to come. And let me read out to you from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, Isaiah, in these words, he's, he's looking forward to the day when the world will be put right. It's a picture of harmony in the world. Those curses that we read earlier on in chapter 3 of Genesis will be completely removed. And in Romans chapter 8, which Joe read out for us, and will be again up on the screen, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And let me read out to you another point in the Bible where we see this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And he goes on to say, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I wonder, do we think about that enough? Do we wake up in the morning and consider that we're a day closer to that day when Jesus is going to return and the earth is going to be remade. This is something, this is something radical. Like this is something that in the world, the divided world around us, in the environmental debate, they're not thinking about this. It's something huge that they're missing. If we trust in Jesus as our saviour, this new creation is going to be our final, ultimate and eternal home. We see this again in Revelation 21, where John gets a glimpse of things to come. Let me read out again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Are you excited for this new creation? Are you excited for the day that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain? If so, does it maybe change our perspective a little bit when we're looking at this environmental debate? Does it perhaps change our perspective on all of life in this current world? I believe God has given us work to do to care for his creation. But at the same time, the world is currently waiting for the day of its liberation. The thrust of the whole Bible is towards this new creation. And as Christians, we really should be looking forward to this new creation too. We really should be. So as... uh, As we finish up here uh, this morning, we live in a world that is seriously divided between priorities of protecting the environment, protecting the planet. It can be hard sometimes to know how to engage in these topics or how we should think about our own actions. I hope this helps um, give us a framework to address these questions uh, from what God tells us. We know that from the very beginning, God created the world and everything on it. It's his planet. We know that he created us in his image with a responsibility to rule and care, care and take care of his planet. We know that his image bearers rebelled and lived their own way, which spoil everything. And in our world today, it's this selfishness and human sin that's still the root problem with the planet. We also know that Jesus is our saviour by God's grace. And he tells us to love God and love others. So we have a responsibility to act in a way that's considerate to others. But we've also seen that this world isn't in its permanent state. God has promised us that there will be a day when he remakes the world in its design perfection. I believe that as Christians, we do have a God-given duty to care for creation. But at the same time, worshipping the creator is the most important thing. And we long for the day when we'll see that renewed creation and we'll see our Lord Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you knowing that you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. You created everything in this world, Lord, including us. We're so sorry for the times that we've forgotten you and lived our own way. 
we pray, Father, that we recognize that you are the ultimate authority in this planet. With the world around us so divided, we pray that we can keep remembering this. And thank you so much, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus, to deal with our sins. Thank you that we are now free to worship you as our creator. And Father, we do look forward to that day that you've promised to make the world new and right. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.